Please join me in prayer. Lord, we pray that you will speak your word to us again today, that we may see you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly, day by day, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Moses, it seems, did not have Google Maps. <laughs> Otherwise, he might have gotten a lot quicker to the promised land. I, I did some research this week on Google Maps. I, I did a search on Google Maps for routes from Cairo, Egypt to Israel. Uh, and, and I found that you can drive, you can drive from Cairo, Egypt to Israel, to Jerusalem, in nine and a half hours, not counting border crossing delays. Now, Moses admittedly didn't have a car, but I changed, so I, I changed the settings to walking. You can do that in Google Maps, you know. You can find out how long it takes to walk between any two points. So I searched for walking routes from Cairo, Egypt, to Jerusalem, and I found that you can walk from Egypt to Israel in six days. That, now that's, and that's walking 24 hours a day nonstop, but it's, it's only 450 miles. I mean, if you walk 10 miles a day, stopping for rest and food and rest, if you, can, you can walk from Egypt to Israel in less than 45 days. Moses took 40 years. That's what happens when you follow a pillar of cloud instead of Google Maps. God intentionally, intentionally led the people of Israel on a roundabout way 40 years through the wilderness to bring them to the promised land. A similar thing happened to Jesus. After Jesus was baptized, he didn't go, God did not send him immediately to Galilee to begin his ministry, nor back to Jerusalem to confront the religious establishment. Instead, Luke chapter 4 says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Now notice, it doesn't say that the devil led Jesus into the wilderness. It said the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. God led Jesus into the wilderness where he experienced hunger and temptation like the people of Israel did in their wilderness. In fact, Jesus' 40 days of temptation is intended to remind us of the 40 days or the 40 years that the Israelites spent in their wilderness. All of which is to say God doesn't use Google Maps. God often leads us through a wilderness before bringing us to the place where God wants us to be. Now, I've asked two people to come and share that truth in their own lives. They have two very different stories about wilderness journeys. And I asked them if they would come and, and share these stories, and I'm grateful for their willingness to do so. First is Patrick Dodd. Patrick Dodd is a member of Southminster Presbyterian Church, and I welcome Patrick to share his story. 
So my own experience in the wilderness happened about four and a half years ago. Um, I came to the conclusion after decades of digging my heels in that I had a problem with drugs and alcohol. And um, my wife gave me the gift of an ultimatum, which probably saved my life and definitely saved my soul. Um, the first few days were torture. It was going through with And when I finally gave it up to God, it was about two in the morning and I couldn't sleep and my relationships were crumbling. I wasn't sure where things were going. And so I prayed for the first time that was not a transactional prayer in a long time. I prayed for wisdom and guidance and just pleased to take this from me. And he answered. And it was, it wasn't anything that I really, it, it wasn't anything tangible. It was just that like a weight had been lifted. I still couldn't sleep. I still was shaking a little bit, but I felt free and I was free. And yet I didn't know where to go. And my wilderness happened um, from, from that moment onward where I was, I, I was struggling. I couldn't picture my life with alcohol and I couldn't picture my life without alcohol. And I was convinced intellectually and emotionally that I was destined for a life of deprivation and misery. And I committed and some part of me realized that if I just did the right thing day by day, took it a day at a time, get out of bed, do the right thing, go to bed, get up the next day, do the right thing, and go to bed again, that God would catch me. And nothing in my, in my brain was convinced of this at all. I, I, I thought that this was you know, a fallacy, that there was no logic to this, that I was doomed to you know, boredom forever. And, um, but I, 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 kept, I kept doing the next intended action and uh, later I would come to know that that was called faith. And, um, and, and that's, that's part of what changed my life. And when I really started to see things open up was ironically in literal wilderness. Um, that's where God began to ease the burden um, of, of not knowing and ease the burden of having to try to negotiate my life where when I was in the wilderness I felt at peace and I could give it up to him and I was on the trail and I could just accept the next thing coming and move forward every day and that's when I began to finally see a little bit of hope and um, his manna to me came in the form of peace and in the form of salvation. And I started to get pieces of myself back again, which I didn't know I had lost. And I felt like I used to, even though I did not know that I had fallen so far that, as I did. And um, you know, to this day, I'm grateful for him. And I, I, I feel him at my side, as I felt him at my side at two in the morning when I was wondering if I was even going to live a life worth living anymore. And so that's what I'm thankful for. And um, I, 
I am uh, slowly, come, I, I believe that I'm still in the wilderness a little bit, and I think that wilderness is necessary um, because I'm, I'm being prepared for God's kingdom, and I don't think that there's, you know, any point where I can say I'm there. I, I still, I, I'm still learning and growing, and the wilderness is absolutely um, necessary for me to keep growing, and I find solace in the wilderness itself. So, thank you. Uh, yeah. The second person I want to invite forward is Jean Madsen uh, from John Knox Presbyterian Church. Jean, welcome. It was January 2002 when my son and I were settling into our newly discovered apartment in Pasadena. When I wrote in my journal, Father, what are you doing in our lives? You see, just four months earlier, 24-year-old Rick had called from his home in LA. He was teaching middle school and taking acting classes. He called to tell us that he had had a biopsy that was highly suspicious for malignancy. Devastated, Dick and I had just said, come home. The call had come on the evening that my husband, Dick, was recovering from his first treatment for a relapse of the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma that he had been battling for four years. Just seven days later, Rick was in the ICU at UW Medical Center being to treated. To do that, you'll need to be online. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, so he was being treated for a very aggressive form of T-cell lymphoma that was, according to the doctors, storming his body. After initial treatments and four months of appeals, Blue Cross insurance mandated that Rick must return to California for further treatment or they would no longer pay. While Rick's intensive preparation for stem cell transplant at City of Hope was beginning, I found myself more deeply committed to the richest time of morning devotion, reading, praying, and journaling than I had ever had before or since. Only much later did I realize that during that time, God was calling me close and closer, building a foundation of trust and faith that I would surely need in the weeks and months ahead. After brutal weeks of treatment and recovery, we were able to fly home for a triumphant Easter celebration with the family. And then we were back in California. Rick was able to have occasional sweet interludes with his friends, going to the movies or out to lunch back in touch for an hour or two with the interests and activities that he loved with such passion and joy. Sadly, that joy was short-lived. In May, we learned that the lymphoma was roaring back. We, along with the doctors, began searching 
or new hope in new treatments. It was not to be. On July 1st, Rick, surrounded by our family, took his last breath. For the next several months, though we were often undone by our grief and struggling to make it through the days, our faith journey seemed to continue strong. We were able to prepare for a deep and meaningful memorial service to honor our boy and the Lord that had upheld us each step of the way. And then, I'm not sure at what point or why, the descent into the valley began. Only that there came a time when I had no desire to share my life with the Lord in the way that had been so crucial and important for me for months. It wasn't that I stopped believing that he was present or that I was particularly angry, only a sense that I really had no desire to connect, no desire to share my pain or to continue the journaling that had been such a source of comfort and encouragement during our months in Pasadena. When Jimmy and Ken invited me to speak this morning, I was tasked with going back, rereading journal entries, and attempting to find out what had been the meaning of those months in the wilderness. In what way was that an important time in my spiritual journey? Perhaps I just needed space. I had been so busy, so committed to caring our, for our family, so determined to live out my faith. Perhaps I just needed time to rest. I was exhausted, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. I just needed to be for a while. And I sensed that the Lord knew and understood. That time in the wilderness also gave me a time to ask and begin to process the many questions that filled my heart. Why? Why, Rick? Why did he have to suffer so much? He was so young and had so many dreams, so many gifts and talents. Why me? Isn't it enough that I'd already survived the loss of one child? Why another? What am I supposed to do with this nearly unbearable pain? And what now? How do we figure out how to move forward in the face of this awful new reality? Ultimately, I was able to understand that the questions were a normal part of the grief process and that pondering and processing was okay with God. It became evident that these were questions that I would never have answered on this side of the earth and I needed to come to a place where that was okay with me. I think most important, the thing that happened during my time in the wilderness was the testing of the foundation I had built my life on. I grew up in Sunday school and since I was a toddler, I'd known and loved Jesus. However, that child faith was fragile. My months of deep, concentrated time with the Lord in Pasadena had been a time of Him restoring and shoring up the faith that I professed, adding context and perspective and scriptural knowledge along with a deeper sense of knowing, knowing that I was a beloved child. 
Now I needed to spend some time testing it. Was that center strong enough to be jumped on and thrown and assaulted? And maybe more important, could I remember to hold tightly to it, no matter what was to come? It was in the wilderness I came to believe with a deeper and more solid assurance that he is all that I need, that life is not about defining God by my circumstances, but defining life's circumstances through his eyes. Eyes I have come to believe deeply reflect his love and grace and desire to transform us through all of those circumstances, whatever they are. Sometimes, sometimes God leads us through a wilderness to bring us to where God wants us to be. It happened to Jesus. It happened to the people of Israel. It may happen to you, but never are you alone in that wilderness. Amen. Amen.